Thank you, God. You have your Bibles. Uh, John 4 is where we're heading. We're kicking off a, a new series, a short series. And because it's short, it's going to carry limitations. Um, but we've entitled it Spirit and in Truth, From Wounds to Worship. From Wounds to Worship. We know whenever we are kind of like getting to the vulnerable spaces of our hearts in a short sermon series, that there are certain limitations to all of that. And so while this morning we're going to look at who Jesus is for us in the coming weeks, we'll do a little more diagnosis of just our makeup and how wounds affect us and particularly how they affect us spiritually. Uh, and then we'll be considering a few tools that God gives us to kind of align our hearts with him in worship, although we have gone through deep and difficult uh, wounds. So John chapter 4 is where we're beginning this morning. We're going to read through verses 1 through 26. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again from Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, he was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, or noon. A woman from Samaria came to drink water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. But Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She still doesn't get it. But Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, Gentle, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Our wounds can often get in the way of our worship. Our wounds can often get in the way of our worship. Our wounds being the terrible losses and grief that we face, the unspeakable hurt and harm that others have caused us, the unexpected and undeserved trials that seemingly crush us, and then all the ways we've attempted to cope with such wounds only to compound the hurt, only even in some instances to incur further guilt and shame for how we've sought relief from our wounds, for how we've sought satisfaction in all the wrong places. These are our wounds, and they often get in the way of our worship. Worship is not just what we're doing here on a Sunday. It's not just your posture of worship, bringing your vulnerability before God in this context. Worship, according to Scripture, is all of life. It's relating with God in all of the things and categories of life. So when we refer to worship, we're referring to this spirit-to-spirit -spirit fellowship that Jesus himself, through his cross, has made possible for us that 24-7 we get God because of Jesus. Spirit-to-spirit -spirit fellowship, a life of worship that we get to live with our God. It's a life of constant, unreserved openness and interaction with God. This is what we mean by worship. But our wounds can often get in the way of our worship. It's like through the trials and tragedies or through the guilt and shame that we've endured when we've attempted to perhaps even cope in all the wrong ways, we begin to close off areas of our life to God. We don't let worship become the way through which we handle our wounds. But even as the text says, the Father is seeking people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. He desires that relational connection with us. So when, as we are wounded, we begin to bar off certain areas of our life to him, it hinders our worship, it hinders our relationship, it hinders our fellowship with him. 
We don't let worship become the way through which we handle our wounds. Rather, our wounds often keep us from real transparent worship. I've mentioned this many times, but I just felt like the Lord was saying, oh, share it again for someone. Uh, as I've mentioned, like teen years and college years, I struggled with shyness, just this fear of approval with others. I just, I mean, I, I was the kid kind of in the back while all the stuff was happening. I'm, I'm just kind of reserved in the back. And God began to show me that part of my shyness was related to woundedness. A woundedness that in some sense was self-imposed. And sometimes our woundedness is just that, it's self-imposed. Yes, sometimes it comes undeserved from the wrongs that others do against us. In this situation, it was a self-imposed wound. Growing up, I desperately wanted the affirmation and approval of my older brothers. I just wanted to fit in. And I never felt as though I fit in. I never felt as though I, I had the, their approval. And so I was always fighting, whether it was sports or just hanging out with their crew of friends. I always wanted to just fit in. And that became something through which shyness was birthed. There was a fear of never kind of meeting up to the expectations and approval of others. So from the wound of not having the approval that I desperately desired, shyness came about. Struggle came about. And not until college years. It took me until college years. Right? I knew the, the I knew the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is my older brother. The one who is one for me, a perfect standing, perfect approval with my God. This is who Jesus is. Jesus can meet the wounds of my heart. The stuff that I wanted from my brothers, Jesus actually provided me for free. Perfect approval from my God. And man, that changed everything for me. Where there is fear, deep-seated fear and shyness this, that was stirred from this deep hunger for approval from others now had been satisfied. It is as if the thirst of my heart was satisfied with the fountain of life that is Jesus. This is what he does for us. This is who he is for us. But I had to come to that point where I... I brought the truth of Jesus spirit to spirit with my God. What you know from a distance from God will not bring healing to the wounds of your heart. You can have all the right theology, and if you don't encounter the one who is perfect theology, you will remain in your woundedness. That's why we can know a lot of Bible and still be spiritually walking with a limp, if not full-blown paralysis. We must come spirit to spirit with our God according to the truth of who Jesus is. Who, what is the Father seeking, as Jesus states? Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth being Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes unto the Father but by him. No one comes spirit to spirit with the Father. No one encounters the fountain of life but through Jesus. 
Jesus is the one, we could say, who wants in on our wounds. He is the one who takes and makes the wounded worshipers. This is who he is. He wants in on our wounds. Now, before jumping into the text, a few things that we need to see about the text. This morning, I, we, ju- we just need to get to Jesus. We need to see who he is. But a few things to recognize about the text before getting to see who Jesus is for us is first and foremost, the placement of this story. John chapter 4 comes after John chapter 3. You have Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus is this morally upright man. He is named, he is a man, he is a morally upright man, and he is socially accepted. Jesus sits with Nicodemus and says, you must be born again. Your spirit must be made alive so you can have spirit-to-spirit fellowship with your God. That's John chapter 3. John chapter 4, we have a woman who is unnamed. She is an immoral woman, and she is a social outcast. She's not accepted socially. And what does this then tell us about who Jesus is from the get-go, from the broader perspective of this story? It's to recognize that no one is beyond the need of Jesus, Nicodemus, but also then that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus, the woman at the well, the broken down, rejected individual, not just the sinner, but the wounded sinner. She is not outside the reach of Jesus. And that's why I'm emphasizing, particularly in this chapter, the woundedness of her heart. Is she a sinner? And is Jesus about the work of saving her from her sin? Yes. But there are more layers to this that Jesus is accomplishing in her heart and life. He's addressing the woundedness of her heart. No one is outside the reach of Jesus. Now, the other significant thing that we have to see before jumping into the text itself is is the prominence of this. This is the longest story in the gospel accounts. In other words, this story is to have a prominence. It's it's to give our attention because it takes up so much space. It's to give our attention to the fact that Jesus, yes, both bears our sin but heals our wounds. He is interested in our, he wants in on our woundedness. He cares about this woman and goes after her. So we have to recognize the contrast between chapter 3, chapter 4, but we also need to recognize the length and the time, the attention that is given to the woundedness of this woman. All to recognize then who Jesus is for the wounded. So two points as we go through this story. In verses 1 through 9, we see this, that Jesus relentlessly goes after the wounded. He goes after the wounded, right? Verses 1 through 6, we find what we would know today, man, as as kind of like a media stirring. 
You know, in our day, media is always trying to divide things rather than just report things. Uh, and in a very similar way, you have the religious media at work in this moment with Jesus and John the Baptist, and they're creating division between Jesus' ministry and John the Baptist's ministry. And what we find is that Jesus is like, all right, it's time for me to move on. We're going to silence this media division by just moving on. We're going to head to Galilee. Now, where Jesus is in Judea is in the south, Samaria is in the middle, and Galilee is to the north. And so Jesus has to travel through Samaria to get to Galilee. But the custom was, because of the rift between the Samaritans and the Jews, that most Jews would actually travel outside of Samaria, go around, and then cut back into Galilee. They wouldn't even go through Samaria because of the tensions, the ethnic tensions. Now, if you're not familiar with the ethnic tensions between Jews and Samaritans, a little history lesson. 722, that's like BC, right? We're going way back. Assyria came, conquered the north of Israel, and as they conquered the north of Israel, of course, they took the strong and the educated, they exiled them, they took them back to their place, while then repopulating, sending some of their folks into the area of Samaria. So some of God's people then would have married in to the Assyrians. And part of that would involve them kind of, yeah, moving the bar in terms of their religious convictions. And so as time had gone by, God's people moved back into the land as God has promised. They, the people who moved back in saw the individuals who remained as those who betrayed God and betrayed the Jewish people. And so there's this rift, centuries of rift now between these two people. And Jesus, notice the language, verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. This is, in other words, divine obligation. As we know later on, Jesus will say, I always do the will of my Father. It is my nourishment to do the will of my Father. And what Jesus is saying and saying that he had to pass through Samaria is this is obedience to the intention, to the heart of the Father. The Father knew of the wounded woman at the well, and he said, Jesus, you must go. And Jesus, therefore, had to pass through Samaria. He wasn't going around, no, hey boys, we're heading through Samaria. Yes, are we going to incur tensions in all of this? Yes, but there is a wounded woman that I must speak to. Jesus relentlessly goes after the wounded. This is who he is. But we also need to recognize, by the time they get to this town called Sychar, in Samaria. Look at verse 6. Jesus is wearied as he was from his journey. This is another just like gem of a phrase. Jesus, under divine obligation, we're going to go show some love to this wounded woman at the well. But Jesus is wearied and going the distance. It's to highlight the fact that Jesus 
is not just one who relentlessly barges into our hurt and into our problems. He's one who actually dives in and becomes one who is vulnerable himself, bearing in himself our limitations so that he might meet us in our darkness, that he might meet us in our limitations, that he might meet us in our weariness and our woundedness. He's one who does not stand back and look down at the wounded and say, oh yeah, I'll I'll just dump a blessing upon you from a distance. No, he's one who's willing to come and sit at the well with us. In the heat of the day, wearied as he is, he comes, the God-man, the infinite one, taking on our infirmities to sit with us, to know something of our frailties, to know something of our limitations, to know something of what we have gone through. He comes to sit with us, wearied as he was from his journey. Under divine obligation, with human sympathy, Jesus relentlessly goes after the wounded. This is who he is. John will say in John chapter 1, he'll say, yes, the word became flesh. Although he is the one, John chapter 1 verse 1, that created all things and nothing that was created wasn't created by him, right? He's created all things. He is Yahweh himself. He is the sustainer and creator of all of life, and yet he enters into life. He takes on flesh, and John says, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. He was just so different than us, but also the glory was that he came to dwell with us. He came to meet with us at the well, in our woundedness, together in our weariness. Jesus comes to us. But then also notice, as you get a little further into the story, Jesus engages with this woman at the well. It's amazing. The woman from Samaria comes to draw water. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, notice what she, what she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? What she is putting her finger on are these cultural barriers that now stand between Jesus and the woman. In other words, she's saying, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't hang out. You're a man. I'm a woman. This ain't looking good. We don't do this kind of stuff. There are barriers here that we can't break. And yet, even with this, Jesus removes the barriers in all the right ways so that he might meet her in her woundedness. Do you see all of this? Do you you recognize this is divine obligation? I must go love this 
woman. And as he goes, oh my goodness, now it's that he's coming and meeting her where she's at in her weariness, in her woundedness, and he is removing any kind of cultural or worldly barriers that might get in the way of her actually receiving something of healing. He's tearing it all down. He's in relentless pursuit of her. What a savior, as one pastor called Jesus in this text. He's the hound of heaven. He has to have you. In all your woundedness, in all your mess, in all your pain, he has to have you. And he's willing to come to you in limitation and to tear down all barriers that might get in the way. This is who our Jesus is I want you to think of yourself, folks, your own woundedness. Jesus is not one to buy into whatever stigma you may feel as a result of your woundedness. He knows you. He knows you inside and out. He knows your thoughts. He knows your feelings. And guess what? He's not one who stands back and and has to question, you know, I don't know if they are deserving of love. (laughs) Let Let me put myself into the fray. Let me put myself into the mess. Let me go meet the one I love in the pit so I can tend their heart so I could have all of their heart. When it comes to your woundedness, do you let your woundedness define who Jesus is for you? Do you let your woundedness define who Jesus is for you? Jesus relentlessly goes after the wounded, but secondly, this, Jesus freely offers himself to the wounded. So in verse... 10, we see that he comes and engages with this woman, asking something from the woman. Hey, can you draw me something to drink? But then offering something to the woman. He goes from asking something from the woman to offering something To the woman, so verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, he says, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What an invitation. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's offering it, just by asking, you would freely receive it. This is the fundamental offer of Christianity, period. Jesus comes and offers himself to us and does so freely. If you knew who I was and what I am able to give you, the gift that I can give you, then you would be asking. If you knew that I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is saying, and if you knew that in me is eternal life, Jesus will go on to say that this gift of God, this living water, is eternal life. Now, when we think of eternal life, don't just think of life with God someday in glory. That's not eternal life. Eternal life has the idea of something both internal and eternal. Eternal life is the fact that 
where we have been separated from God, both in our sin and in our woundedness. It's Jesus now who bridges the gap. He is the truth for us. And he bridges the gap so that we might have life with God, that we might be tied into the fountain of life who is God now and forever. It's to have something internal given to us. It's the gift of fellowship with God himself where our own spirit is made alive to have fellowship with him spirit to spirit and that that spirit would be now and forever. That's eternal life. It's not just, oh, you got to suffer down here until you get there. No, it's that you get God now and you get him then. The fountain of life. The one who can satisfy the thirst of our soul. You get him now, and you get him then. Now and forever, internal reality and eternal reality. This is the gift that Jesus is offering to this woman. If you knew who Jesus was, and if you knew the gift that he was offering, you would ask, notice something here, that when it comes to a relationship with God, I know many of us know it, let's just revel in it once more. It is freely offered. You don't have to jump through the hoops. You don't have to heal your own woundedness to make yourself acceptable before him. He says, no, I've had to go through Samaria. I know your woundedness. And as he goes on into the story, you'll recognize that Jesus knows more of the woundedness of this woman than she's willing to say. Jesus knows it all, and he's still right there ready to offer himself freely to her. Jesus freely offers himself to the wounded. Now her response is, in this text, something humorous. Right? So often, when spiritual matters are being spoken of by Jesus, the, the audience is taking it all physical. So Nicodemus... How do you be born again? You're going to go back into your mother's womb? I don't get this, Jesus. And now, very similar, she's not understanding what Jesus is saying either. She's, she's thinking in physical terms. Okay, you have this living water, but you don't even have anything to like, like draw the water with. Do you think you're better than Jacob? Like Jacob, he drilled this well years and years ago, and it's still sustaining this village. You think you're better than him, that you could provide some sort of water that would satisfy us even more? Who are you? She's thinking in physical terms when Jesus is aiming at her spiritual condition. He wants her heart, including her woundedness. So what does Jesus do? Verse 16. He asks her to bring her husband to him. And you may say, man, this is like quite a, quite a turn of, of conversation. Like, you, why, are you, why are you asking this of her? But what he's doing is he's, he's gently placing his finger on the wounds of her heart to help her recognize that he's not speaking in physical terms, but is speaking in spiritual terms. It's not so much about the physical that he's getting at as it is the spiritual and the internal. So he says, go call your husband, and she is honest with him. 
verse 17, I have no husband. She's honest, but her guard's up. Right? Yeah, I have no, I have no husband. And Jesus, his response to her is, you have five husbands, and the one you're living with isn't your husband. Do you know what he's doing in this moment? Yes, he's confronting her sin. We have to recognize that. Jesus knows our sin. You can't keep anything from him, right? But he's also tending to the woundedness of her heart. He's saying, I know you. I know you in your struggles. I know what your heart needs. Jesus is saying, I know you. I, I, I get you. When you don't even get yourself because of all the woundedness that has gone on and all the complexities therein, Jesus knows you. He knows you. And he freely offers himself to you. So he asks her. We find that her woundedness is revealed. And verse 19, she responds, I perceive you're a prophet. But she's like, if we're going to talk about spiritual things now, there's an issue we got to work through. Another barrier, if you will. The barrier is this, is how do we connect with God? She's recognizing all of a sudden that Jesus has moved her from a physical way of understanding things now to the spiritual understanding of things. And she's saying, okay, now if we're talking about going spirit to spirit with God, if we're talking about this relationship with God, these spiritual matters... We need to talk about location because the Samaritans worship at Mount Gerizim and the Jews are worshiping in Jerusalem. So how are we supposed to work all of this out? And this is the glory of the moment where Jesus is stepping in and says, the hour is coming and is now here. Verse 23, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Fellowship with the Father is no longer found in a particular place through a particular process. It's rather found through a person, namely Jesus. That's why John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth by which we come spirit to spirit with the living God. He is the truth through which we have fellowship with God. And Jesus is telling her, I am the one who has made it possible for your heart in all of its woundedness to come to the Father in fellowship. He bids us come. He freely offers himself to the wounded so that we might enter into fellowship with the God of all. This is a wonderful opportunity for those who carry wounds. The Father is seeking such people to work. He's seeking the wounded to worship him. Jesus is seeking the wounded to worship him. 
That's why Jesus will say, I haven't come for the healthy. (laughs) I've come for the ones who actually recognize their need for me, who admit their need for me, who don't hold their wounds off apart from me, but who say, Jesus, you know me as I am. Here I am. Now, let me bring my wounds into the context of worship. That's a tough move. When we've suffered as we have, that is a tough move to bring our deepest vulnerabilities into the context of fellowship with our God. But that's what he says. Bring it in. Bring it in. In gentleness and lowliness, he will not shame you. He will not guilt you. No, because of all that Jesus has done for you, he says, come on in. There's safety. There's safety in this space. There's safety in fellowship with me. You can bring your wounds to me. Come and let your wounds find its healing in the context of worship. Until, until those wounds become the very stage, the platform from which Worship arises. That's what he's calling us to. Bring your woundedness in. And let the way in which you handle your woundedness be done in the context of worship. Fellowship. Spirit to spirit with God. So that as he brings healing to your heart, your woundedness actually becomes the platform upon which Worship arises to the point where you finally get to the point of saying as it relates to your woundedness, for from him and through him and to him are all things. I'm going to worship through my woundedness until my woundedness becomes the very platform of my worship. Where I could say, God, this is from you, through you, and to it is for your glory. While others may have wanted evil for me, you have meant it for good. That's a hard statement. But it's worked out in the context of worship. This is who Jesus is for us. Do you see? He relentlessly comes after us. He's knocking on the door of your heart where your wounds kind of closed and barred the door. He's always knocking. He's always knocking ready to receive our vulnerabilities in gentleness and lowliness because he can sympathize with us. He's been through the limitations. He's suffered. He's borne our griefs and sorrows. He knows what it is to carry a stigma, a social stigma through the... He knows what it is to face shame. He knows all of the psychological pain, the mental pain, the emotional pain, the physical pain, the spiritual pain. He knows it all. And therefore, he can be gentle and lonely with our greatest vulnerabilities. And he says, come into fellowship with those things. Let the way through which you work out those wounds be in the context of worship again until it becomes the very platform from which you can worship. Others meant it for evil. God, you meant it for good. And now it is the place of my worship. It is my living sacrifice before you. It is the incense that must arise for your honor and for your glory. Jesus, in conclusion, 
relentlessly goes after the wounded, freely offers himself to the wounded so that the wounded might become worshipers. Verse 23, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He desires that fellowship. It's interesting here that Jesus, again, had to show the woman just how known she was. She most likely couldn't even fathom a God who actually wanted her. But there Jesus was freely offering himself to her. The Father sending the Son to seek her out so that she wouldn't have to carry her sin and her woundedness alone. So, if you have never come to know this Jesus, he is the one who'll have you. He is the one who knows you. He is the one who is gentle and will be lowly with you. He's one who can sympathize with the hardships of our own lives. He is the one who be who can become for us that fountain of life, the sip that satisfies. He's the one who can meet us in our woundedness, tend to our woundedness until our woundedness becomes the very context and very stage of our worship. If you don't know Jesus, oh, I encourage you. <laughs> like this woman, we don't even get, we don't even get like, a final like conversion moment. Oh, here's the moment. She just all of a sudden is a different woman. <laughs> She's got to go tell others about this Jesus. It is something of soul satisfaction that she has encountered with Jesus and she's off to the races. Got to go tell others of what this Jesus has done for me. He can do the same for you. Just cry out to him. He will have you. He will take away your guilt. He will cover your shame. And yes, it may be a process, but he will make your wounds the very context from which worship will arise. For us as believers, isn't it true that in our walk with Jesus, we suffer more? <laughs> more woundedness comes down the pike. The church isn't perfect. Family relationships aren't perfect. Our bodies aren't together, right? We carry all kinds of different struggle and difficulty. People do things to us that bring incredible hurt to us. Or, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes we impose kind of woundedness upon ourselves by seeking things in others that will not satisfy when only Jesus satisfies, right? The Christian life will not be absent from further woundedness. But Jesus is always bidding us to come with all we are to bring our very woundedness to him. May worship be the context through which we work out our woundedness until that woundedness becomes the very stage upon which we bring glory to God. What we're going to do in closing is we're going to partake of the Lord's table a little differently. Here's how I encourage you to do it. Yeah, musicians, you guys can come forward. 
I'm going to ask you to come forward, grab the elements, return to your seats, and the musicians are going to play a song over us. And here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to listen to the words. Listen to the words. But as you listen to the words and you hold the elements in your hand, this is where things get a little different. I want you to Sometimes posturing ourselves is a healthy thing. It's a helpful thing. She just, as you're holding the elements, just kind of cup your hands and visualize your woundedness in your hands. Visualize that in these moments, it, it, it's my woundedness, God, I'm bringing it before you in worship, holding on. the very elements that represent the God who was wounded for us to make worship possible, right? I have a place where I can bring my woundedness. Oftentimes, we just don't want to do it. We're embittered with God, struggling with God, doubting God's goodness, all these kind of things go through our minds. And it's good for us to slow down and to just visualize our woundedness in the palms of our hand Say, Lord, I'm bringing this to you as I remember all that Christ has done for me. It's a messy experience to bring our woundedness to God. Don't think that, oh yeah, this is just nice and easy and this, this moment's going to clear up everything. No, I guarantee you, if the story went on with the woman at the well, there's more struggles, more temptations. The enemy's going to be working. She's going to want that relationship again to satisfy the deep things of her heart when Jesus alone says, I am your fountain of life. I am your living water. But that's the beauty of our relationship with the Lord. Jesus has made a way for us to constantly come back and say, God, <laughs> oh, it's frustrating right now, but here's my woundedness. Now but remember how you've been wounded for me such that I can bring this to you. Make sense? So let's Go ahead and stand. We'll come grab the elements, return. And go ahead, as you, as you cup your hands and you hold on to this and listen to the song, go ahead and take the elements on your own. And then we'll close with the final song.
um, just want to take a moment as we close um, to pray. Um, anxiety has been a theme of just hearing as we even came in this morning. Um, and I think just taking a moment, anybody feel led to pray into that? Just the issue of anxiety, bringing our wounds, you know, I'm, as the Lord, I'm just dialoguing with the Lord. As we bring our wounds to the Lord, it's an anxious, it's a fearful thing. Um, and, and that being one of the application points of just like, that God would silence our fear to know that he is good, he's gentle and lowly. As has been said by others in our church, he's a gentleman. He's not harsh with us. He's not loud in bringing more chaos to the stuff of our hearts. He's gentle. He's a gentleman. Anybody feel led to pray into that? You pray from where you are or come up here. All right, Tommy, you're the one. You can pray for us. Since you brought it up a few times, just let's go after it just for a moment. Just for a moment. Yeah. Um, peace in our kids. That you would provide calm over that one for Nelson. They would recognize their need for you. <coughs> and that you yes. are the ultimate satisfaction. We pray for their salvation. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. 
society that um, the woman, again, in this, I don't know, stay tuned or there's literally like 12, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she has to be nourished for a time and time and not a time. So I just pray, God, um, that your word speaks to those here and listening and Lord, we, we pray for uh, those who find that, that they feel as though they should be further down the, the journey of healing. Lord, we, we, we pray that there would be no sense of condemnation. We pray that there would be just, as Natalie prayed, a sense of freedom to just keep on coming to you wherever they stand in their woundedness, that it wouldn't be the accusations, that it wouldn't be, you're just, you're just not running after your healing enough, or you're just not progressing enough, or you just haven't arrived enough. Lord Jesus, we simply trust the fact that you stand with us and you bless us in the moment, wherever we are, in stewarding the woundedness that we carry. So Lord, let condemnation, accusation, let it fall to the ground. Let it fall to the ground in Jesus' name. And Jesus, make your presence known. And may the promises of your nearness to us 
be altogether felt. Let your gentleness, your lowliness be known that you get us and you understand us in our pain and in, in our journey. You get it and you're with us. And you just invite us into fellowship. No matter what kind of strides we've made today, you just invite us into fellowship. Just invite us in again and you invite us in again. So Lord, have sway upon us, we pray. Have sway. And God, I do pray that, that you would bring um, through this sermon series just a healing to our souls where there is stuff that we're just keeping back from you, Lord. We pray that those things would be brought to you because you already know them. <laughs> you already know them. And we, we know that you care about bearing our burdens with us so that we might have rest. So Lord, we do pray that you would come and work mightily, blessing the word, blessing the hearing of the word, so that there might be just an ever-growing degree of freedom in our relationship to you. May we bring our wounds into the context of worship until those wounds become the very platform, the stage, by which we say, yes, they meant it for evil, but you are so good. Let it be in Jesus' name. Amen.